Hey everyone, just a reminder that we are recording remotely while we're quarantined, uh, so the sound might be slightly compromised, but hopefully not too bad. Enjoy! Feminists Without Mystique, a podcast where we process politics, sex, and the unrelenting firehose of bullshit in the news through an unapologetically feminist lens. Each week we begin by venting about the news, go deep on one important issue, call out terrible things happening below the top headlines in a segment called We See You, and then we'll end with something hopeful. And just a reminder, if you're enjoying us to rate, review, subscribe, recommend us, it really helps other people discover us. um, And we always welcome feedback or communication via our social media. We are FWM podcast on Twitter and Facebook, and then feminists without mystique on Insta. Um, One recent review we got last week, which was really nice, was from FWM fan. um, And he rated, they rated us. I don't know why I gendered it. He. um, Yeah, that's quite a, that's quite a choice. I know that that was a choice. He, (laughs) based on no information. Um, But we can have fans that are guys. We do. We do. We We do. But we'll just, we'll go with they for this particular. They they feel safer anyway. They they gave us five stars and um, said it's that we are a smart, funny podcast with a strong feminist perspective that I look forward to listening to every week. I mistakenly put FMW in my nickname instead of FWM. Don't make the same mistake, (laughs) which is funny. What is FMW? Is that fuck my wife or something? I just thought it was a typo from FWM. <laughs> right, but what does FMW mean? Something? I don't know. I don't know. I fucked my wife. Was I, the and, you're, thing that, and you went right. That went seems right like that would be an active acronym, don't you think? Uh, yeah, I'm sure. I bet if you went to Urban Dictionary, <laughs> it would be <laughs> the something. depths of the internet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something, something shocking. <laughs> Fuck my wife. <laughs> we'll, yeah. have to, we'll get back to get back to us them on that yeah i don't know where our heads are at today but uh just making all sorts of uh <laughs> odd associations <laughs> um but yeah and we're still um celebrating uh women's history podcasts as a part of women's history month um and so we just wanted to shout out cult of domesticity a podcast about history true crime and whatever life brings us hosted by courtney and a guest host each week so check her out yes do it do it do it (laughs) all right um Mitch McConnell, you want to <laughs> come out swinging? Mm-hmm. So I know we've, I'm sure, been very unclear on our stance about Mitch McConnell in the past. Um, but he today, I, I think, I think I'm going to choose to believe that he is scared. He's very scared, which is why yeah. he's acting out in this way um, or acting. I mean, he has no power at this point. So, <laughs> cause he's in the minority anyway. Um, he essentially said that uh, 
everything that the Republican Senate did to President Obama would be child's play compared to the disaster that Democrats would create for their pri- their own priorities if they break the Senate. Um, so he was, you know, he's talking about the ongoing discussions that Democrats are having to get rid of the filibuster in the Senate, also known as the nuclear option, basically um, using their status as just a 50-50 majority, 51 with Kamala Harris's vote, to change the rules, the Senate rules that allow lawmakers to block action on a bill uh, unless the Senate can come up with the 60 votes to move the uh, law, the proposed bill forward. Um, Now, the filibuster wasn't, we've talked about this at length, not an original part of the Constitution or any part of, of, of the Senate history. That's something that needs to be revered forever. Anyway, If the Democrats decide to abolish the filibuster, it will be majority rule, which would mean that they would be able to pass a lot of their priorities, which scares the shit out of Mitch McConnell. So he's throwing he he threw a very public temper tantrum today to the press, um, threatening to like derail any other Democratic legislation that we want or that Democrats want if, um, you know, if we move forward on this. I think uh, someone on Twitter, what's the guy's name? <laughs> oh, human survival is a is a political agenda, said. So if I'm not mistaken, McConnell threatened to block the Democratic agenda if he's not allowed to block the Democratic agenda. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. So I think that that kind of summed it up. Um, and also just a reminder, because it is important when we're talking about this because Mitch McConnell will really try to warp history on it. He always goes back to um, Harry Reid and 2013 saying that the the nuclear option uh, had to happen or happened because Democrats used it first. They only used it because the GOP under Mitch McConnell's leadership refused to advance judicial and cabinet appointments by President Obama. And that was absolutely not standard. That that was um, precedent breaking in its own way to not allow the sitting president to pick his own judicial appointments and to and cabinet appointments. He then nuked the filibuster um, when it came to uh, electing or electing appointing um Supreme Court judges. So he has already um, been breaking precedents in the Senate and long held traditions uh, to traditions of bipartisanship, traditions of collegiality. He's already destroyed those. So he's going to try to he tries to frame things in this way where Democrats would be taking this absolutely horrendous step. Um, But that is just history doesn't bear that out. That's not the way that the facts look. And it's something that I think we need to keep kind of reminding people is that this is not, it's understandable that like when Kristen Sinema says that bills should be bipartisan and she wants to protect that. And so does Joe Manchin. I understand that. And I, I, I hear, I hear like the arguments and I understand in a like vacuum why that would make sense, why you would want it to be harder to pass bills. You would want them to be sensible and to have bipartisanship, but we haven't had bipartisan bills almost at all in the last 10 years ish, like with Mitch McConnell in control and setting the tone here. Um, 
And I think it would be really illuminating if we had a 50-50 and Democrats could actually pass their priorities because then we would have more people allowed to vote because there would be less of all that bullshit. But also the American people would have a much clearer barometer generally of like what is a real, like what is the democratic platform? Because if Democrats can actually pass their platform, then you can vote understanding what people actually like, what Democrats want, because they'll be able to actually achieve it. And so same with Republicans. If, if Republicans, you know, had the 50, 50 votes and they had the presidency, like they would be able to actually enact everything that they say that they want to, to deliver on for people. And then you could make a pretty informed decision. Like, do I like what's going on here? Or, you know, it's just, it's a little bit more clear cut. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> that was a rant. <laughs> yes, but no, I, I do. I do very much hope that Mitch McConnell is, is scared and that he is just kind of lashing out because he's always had so much power and the idea of him losing his power is very like Voldemort Horcruxy and it feels delicious. It, it does. It so really does. Choose to believe that's what's happening because it feels better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like I, the idea that he's spooked um, mm-hmm. brings me joy. Yeah. I'm cool with that. Mm-hmm. Um, the Grammys happened, but I, all I watched was WAP. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I enjoyed it. They also the apparently the costumes were like 18 pounds or something. All that metal. Wow. But it was funny because I don't know. So I don't know what the setup was of the Grammys because, uh, again, I, I I didn't watch them. But <laughs> when, when I watched that clip, it was hilarious because they were doing like they were doing a great WAP performance. It was wonderful, but like very sensual, obviously. And then there was just like golf clap from the audience happening. <laughs> and yeah. it was oh. very incongruous. And I was just wondering what the what the situation was because it's like they're literally just like like humping each other. And then it's just like <laughs> <laughs> very <laughs> kind of a vibe killing uh, golf clap. But yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> That is odd. One of the weird pandemic pandemic performances. Uh, I also didn't watch, but I watched, you know, f- like you say, footage of footage. Beyonce sitting and standing next to Megan the Stallion. Basically, that's what I. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and I yeah. So, the Grammys happened. People seem to be, you know, they seem to happen, and it was yeah, they seem seemed to, to happen. They seem to happen without much controversy, but as with a lot of like institutions like the Academy and the Grammys and they've dug themselves into just like holes that they're desperately trying to get out of and clunky clunk, clunk, clunk. So clunk, clunk, clunks. Yeah. yeah. I'll definitely peruse around and see some, watch some more clips, but yeah, yeah I don't know. I just haven't, I haven't gotten into any award shows recently. It's, yeah. you know, pandemic just hits different. Yeah, it does. It does. I didn't even watch the Golden Globes, which was so felt weird for me. Yeah, at least. Um, it's big for you. It is. I'll watch the Academy Awards and, you know, reactivate Paramount Plus or Fubo or whatever. Thanks. <laughs> oh, did I? Oh, no, I didn't deactivate <gasps> it. Oh, no. Oh, I deactivated uh, like an hour before it was time to. <laughs> 
Yes, yes, so that was so Moxie um, is a movie that I was looking forward to seeing when it came out. Um, it was on. God, I don't. I watched a couple weeks. It was on Netflix or Hulu. I don't know. Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> think, yeah. Netflix. <laughs> um, but you know, Amy Poehler is involved. I think she's produced it. Um, it's based off on a book, uh, but it's basically this kind of coming of age story of this girl, this high school white girl um, who starts this sort of feminist protest movement at her school um, after being, you know, more quiet and reserved and non-confrontational as it were. Um, and over, overall, I liked it. I thought it was good. I think it tried to do a lot. You know, it, it felt like it was trying to, I could feel the writers and the people behind the movie just being like, I really want to like get all the good feminist stuff in here. Mm-hmm. Let's just like pack it in here. And it seems a good idea. But it's like when you got that sandwich man and you put a little too much stuff, you can't even take a bite. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's like, well, like I'm not full because I couldn't really eat my sandwich because I put too much shit on it. Yeah. Um, so it felt like that. And at the same time, felt like there was a missed opportunity to like really talk about intersectional feminism or, yes, you know, talk about the one of the central characters of colors experience, um, like let her talk about it. <laughs> yeah, um, because it's sort of there's a lot of instances of Vivian yeah Vivian who's this the main girl kind of just not standing up for Lucy at all and just being like quiet or be like telling her to keep her head down and stuff like that until eventually she decides like oh I won't stand for this I'm going to start this you know zine this feminist zine that leads to protesting all that but um but yeah at the same time if I were if this had come out when I was in high school or middle school or something, I would have, I think I would have felt very inspired. <laughs> yeah. This is so funny. This, I think this is one of the few topics where we didn't even discuss at all before we started recording. Uh-uh. Um, and I love it because I uh, shockingly <laughs> agree completely with you. And I was sort of like, hadn't done a lot of reading kind of around it or reviews. Mm -hmm. I really didn't. I just sort of, I actually watched watched it last night um, and came away kind of at best feeling just ambivalent about it. And and in in a general way, like happy that I guess it exists for, for, for that exact reason for um, high schoolers. Like it's a very digestible, I kind of would, I would kind of call it like a little feminist pablum. It felt like, Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it's a problem when one of the most compelling characters was actually like the male love interest. Um, I thought that he, he was adorable and I loved the way that they made him a kind of like, I loved the way that they had him as sort of a feminist ally and he was like just cute and, and like a very likable character in the film. And I was sort of like Vivian, I didn't connect with, I didn't understand. I didn't really, the inciting moment for her to like find her inner feminist didn't really make, it didn't read as very believable to me. Um, And I, you know, I, I think it was like very clunky and, and, and the gestures towards intersectionality 
just seemed like that. They sadly, like they just seemed more like gestures, like you were saying. And, and, um, we should have, like, it was super disappointing to see basically like at the beginning when she didn't stand up for, um, I think it was Lucy, the character yeah. who was getting bullied. Mm-hmm. And that that wasn't like, I kind of thought, oh, that might be the, ins- like, that's, is that an inciting incident or mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, it's doing too much. It's, it fell a little flat. I don't want to like, it almost feels like being so hard on it is like punching it down when it doesn't need yeah. to be punched down. Yeah. I hear it. No, it's yeah, it's not like I feel like we're it sounds like we're being very critical of it. It's like fuck this, but it's no, it's like I I'm glad it was made and I think, you know, it's important to talk about these things and, and hopefully the next because it's not saying like oh there can't ever be a story about a white girl, but it's like okay, but if you're talking about feminism and you're <laughs> you have to, you know, actually be intersectional and you have to bring race into it especially and it's like it's just kind of the movie just kind of nodded to it um and kind of like leaned into i feel like that the strong black woman stereotype on in the negative sense of it being like oh you know women of color can handle anything mm-hmm. um and you know i don't know it just it seemed Whereas this white girl was just kind of allowed to like kind of fuck up and make all these mistakes at the expense of the girl of color. Um, And a couple of girls of color. Yeah, Yeah, several times. (laughs) Um, Yeah, there was like a trans character who had like five lines. Yeah. Um, So it was just, yeah, it was just like they're they're trying to, trying to do a little bit too much. Um, But yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't bad and it would have been, I think we're just more critical because it has a lot of potential and, you know, polar and all that, but, um, and I can relate to it in the way, in how, you know, Vivian was, had a hard time speaking up in the beginning and was just kind of like, it seemed like she was just like so shy and anxious and just, you know, wouldn't speak up for herself. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of girls in high school who are socialized to be nice and polite and quiet, um, no matter how you feel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that resonated. And, you know, I think a lot of us sort of fantasized about having a breaking point where we put on a cool riot girl leather jacket and go and, <laughs> you know, fight the patriarchy. But I don't know how well that club would have been received at my, at my high school. I don't know what, um, I think, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if any big changes would have happened, but. Yeah, it was a, a nice, year. <laughs> yeah, it felt like, okay, in a sense, I really do like that there's this, you know, anonymous moxie magazine kind of, feeling like it's the alternative burn book of mean girls, Mm -hmm. you know, and like progress, like in another teen movie, another Mm -hmm. like glossy Netflix movie where they're trying to give teens of the youth of today, you know, another, another story that's, that's, um, no gl- glossy and digest digestible and maybe like a first step in some ways and a first step for white women i mean I, it's kind of for white white teenagers i you know because it's kind of like I, what what do what do i think like teenagers of color are necessarily going to get out of this movie i don't know 
Yeah. And then it's also like, ah, you also don't want like white kids to see this and like kind of digest the idea. Like it's all right to kind of stomp all over people of color as long as you're learning, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. So it's like, it's never really addressed. There's a point where her, one of her friends who's um, Asian says, you don't understand because you're white. And then she like storms off and gets really upset. The white girl and, um, you know, goes to her mom and pull her and stuff. And then that's kind of what happened. Like there's no moment of like confronting her privilege or growth from it. It's just sort of like race was mentioned again, but nothing's really happening with it so it's yeah it's hard because it's like on one hand I think you know there are things that you could get out of this as a teen or preteen and and you could really feel empowered in certain ways but at the same time it's like yeah we don't want to be reinforcing the idea that you can just kind of bumble your way <laughs> and treat people of color however as long as you get to your woke conclusion I don't know what she the magazine, in a sense, did perpetuate some bullying, you know, because mm-hmm. it had like it was going after the bull, like the male bullies, the male kind of mm-hmm. like um, the jocks that were problematic. Uh, so as that was happening, I was kind of clocking. OK, I understand why she's doing this. I understand why it's part of the magazine, but it's it is perpetuating something that she just was saying was kind of the triggering moment for her to start listening to riot girl and like have a feminist awakening, you know, and then she goes and publishes like biggest asshole in the school, you know, it's like, okay. Um, you know, it, it, it seemed like she, she seemed like a very, um, immature character and yeah the ways in which she acted out towards her boyfriend and her mom and her mom's, her mom's boyfriend, um, were gross, uh, and didn't, it seemed like those beats in the movie kind of felt like they were put there because of a formula and not because yeah. they made sense in the, like throughout the, the arc of the story, yeah and there just wasn't enough like real apologies to those people and to the and to her friend lucy and like because she was a jerk to everyone at some point yeah yeah she didn't have she needed to have like a real reckoning that would have been great because it's like this could have been like if a few i think what's frustrating about this movie is if a few granted major things but like if, if a few things were altered it could have been a lot better um you know, mm-hmm. it's like there was some of a, there was like some good stuff in the framework um, to work with and so many like almost moments, mm-hmm. uh, but just kind of missed, missed the mark too, too many times. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, and her Amy Poehler's character, even at one point in the movie says like, oh, our feminism back when I was in high school wasn't intersectional enough. And it's just like, oh, my God, you're literally even saying it. Yeah. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> yes. Right. Oh my gosh. I don't know. I don't know if they were just trying to do too much and couldn't figure out how to put, you know, make race part of it more, but like they had to, they could have figured it out. There's plenty of like shit that was just sort of like thrown in there that could have been taken out. Like you said, that just kind of felt like it was part of a formula or like what they thought should be in it. Yeah. Like, I, I, I have to say, I was shocked that at the end, the soccer players didn't get new uniforms as part of, like, 
anything, you know, it was like mm-hmm. this thing that they kept talking about, which was, val- you know, valid. They're like a team that actually wins, wins games on like the yeah. football team and no one cares and no one goes and no one invests any money. So they have terrible, like, you yeah, know, the girls soccer uniforms, team. the girls soccer team. And so by the end, it's like these little plot points that I thought like, surely we're going <laughs> to tie them together or like yeah. come back to them. It's like, no, no, no. This was just like part we of just mentioned, Yeah. Like her dad, I think was mentioned once, maybe twice, but I think only yeah. once. And it was just sort of like, not like he needs to be in it, but it's just sort of like, she referenced him like kind of emotionally at one point. It's like, and then we just never got back to it. So it's like these things that in a moment have like carried this weight or the significance to the character, but then like, they're just sort of like, no, we're going to go, we're going to do away with that. Why do you think they started with her running in the woods? Like it was going to be a, like a horror moment. And then they of course came back when she, to that when she was screaming and it was just like, we're not, we don't need this. We don't we need it. We need <laughs> it. We need the woods run. <laughs> This is not like a moment. And then it was, yeah, like it did feel a little, I am Spartacus to be like, I am Moxie, you know, yeah. like all her friends, just come on. We don't. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was cringe. Yeah, there are some cringe moments, but it's, <laughs> it's also, it's one that would be good to watch like with, or have your daughter or son watch or watch with them and then like have a conversation with them about like what was cool about it. What was maybe missing, you know, like, I think it would be a great, like, I feel like it's almost made to be like a, like, <laughs> like a discussion for like teens or preteens, you know? Yeah. Like pop this shit on in, in health class or whatever. And not health, but one of those classes, <laughs> the Maybe. teacher's hung over and they put a movie on. Yeah, exactly. And you can have a conversation about mm, what, what, uh, what's missing here. Why does this just not quite click? Um, yeah. And I guess it did did also seem like uh, and I, I kind of hesitated to leap to this conclusion or like I, yeah, I was really like, OK, is this the have I is it because I'm just like steeped in Twitter discourse that I'm thinking this? But it did feel like kind of a white savior movie, like yeah, a little which is bit. Like, oh, yeah. just a little like just too much centering of a non-compelling, relatively tone deaf or like uh, oblivious white girl. Uh, and I just feel like we could do better. Amy Poehler could do better. I, I started out saying I'm ambivalent and then I like talk myself into a, like a real, you know, I don't care about but like, it. Oh, <laughs> <man>. <laughs> I just think it, like you said, it's a lot of wasted potential. It's like Amy Poehler yeah. could have marshaled something <laughs> better. Like what if they just, what if they had like, fine. Like if, if Vivian's inspiration is you know, Lucy to some extent, like they could work together and then maybe they could have a conversation about race and privilege and all of that, you know, and have like a real friendship and like real deep conversations um, would have made everything better. (laughs) Yeah. It could have been like, I wish that there had been a way that Lucy, you know, it could have been she could have been, Vivian could have been called out by Lucy, like, oh, so you weren't spurred to take any action when you saw the jock spit in my Coca-Cola, but yeah, literally uh, spit in my drink. Like what a level of harassment that I feel like would 
awake something mm-hmm. in a lot of people, a lot of like, n- you know, non-confrontational mm-hmm. high school gals would be like, Hey, stop. Um, but again, yeah. maybe I'm giving people too much credit, but she could have called like, if there was a moment of call out to say that you weren't, that didn't really like spur any action on your part, but th- yeah. this like anonymous web, you know, website where you were like most obedient on the list was the thing that did it for you. Uh, you know, yeah. I guess it, it might not have been necessarily that. I mean, they did, Ooh, like someone deployed the C word. <laughs> so that might have been. wild. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was just, it could have been, it had potential. Good thing. I think, you know, maybe to, to watch with the, the kids and discuss, but not like a, not a great example of what should be, you know? Yeah. But the potential, you know, learning, learning piece. Yeah. Uh, and it was based on a book. I don't know what that has to, you know, I don't know. I didn't read the book. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not I going don't know. to. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not going to. It's not big to this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. That. That's that. Uh, <laughs> uh, let us know your thoughts if you uh, if you watched it. Yeah, if you think we're way off. I felt I almost felt like I was betraying Amy Poehler by not like loving it. I was like, no. Yeah. It's almost like her, her feminism um, and Tina Fey has been kind of called out for this too. Um, Yeah. You know, it's just, even at this point, it's slightly dated. So if she thinks that she's going to get like accolades for acknowledging her feminism was not as intersectional. It's like, she's trying to be almost meta about it. Like, oh, we weren't intersectional enough, but then it's like, but you've made a film that also isn't. Yeah, and it's hard, and it's like I've never seen. It's like Tina Fey's been disappointing because I haven't seen her really own it in any way or like mm-hmm. show any kind of. I don't know. She just doesn't really address it at all. Whereas in Polar, at least like she has that smart girls thing. She does active work to try to empower girls. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why it's extra kind of. It's like oh, you really like you, you're really wanting to do this right. You're really like <laughs> trying, but somehow you're still kind of missing the mark. Um, mm-hmm. but I have, I have hope for her. Yeah. I'm still a fan. She's just gotta do a little, uh, little growing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, should we move on to, uh, Let's we do see it. you? And now for, we see you. All right. So we all remember as much as we tried to forget Brett Kavanaugh's hearing and back in 2018. And we um, try. We try. <laughs> and at the time there were stirrings and uh, about this, but so the FBI, as you and I were talking about earlier, they, they failed to interview Kavanaugh and Christine Ponce Ford didn't interview either of them. And people who came forward, uh, tried to come forward to the FBI with information as witnesses, Mm -hmm. just didn't really have anywhere to go with that. There was like a tip line that the FBI set up that was referred to by um, Democratic Senator Sheldon Whitehouse as a garbage shoot that <laughs> uh, basically these people that had information would send it in and it would just, no one would actually be reviewing it or looking into it or, you know, anything, mm-hmm. anything to that effect. 
so uh, not uh, not great. Um, <laughs> not great. I, I don't think we're uh, surprised. Uh, I'm glad that this is getting attention now and that maybe something will come of this. Um, I'm sure there will be more <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, information around this. But it's just God, so much effort went into getting Brett Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court and he's just such a piece of shit and it's just for such terrible like anti-human goals I just can't even oh and also there's a bunch of uh, Kavanaugh debt just kind of went away right before the confirmation hearings also two hundred thousand dollars of debt on baseball games yeah which also, yeah, why does he have all of that? But yeah, just kind of like went away as he is. Um, why does he have that? Yeah, it's just, it feels like he was just groomed to be put there. I don't know, maybe Roe Wade wants to be overturned. Maybe they just wanted to have a conservative on the court for general purposes. A little column A, a little column B. I don't know. But <clears throat> the fact that they didn't interview either of them, the fact that they were just flagrantly <laughs> disregarding the fact that there were witnesses out there and there was information that they were not getting as part of their investigation. Just, we see you, but I, I will never not be mad about that trial. Yeah, no, we see you. It's yeah. <laughs> it really sends me into like a real spiral. Um, even thinking about it because it was so outrageous. One of the darkest moments of the, the Trump presidency for sure. Just, um, seeing the Supreme Court tilt in that way. And especially after the, you know, just, it was like really feeling like we were all collectively taking crazy pills, like absolutely unacceptable and uh, something we're all going to have to, we're all going to have to live with the injustice. There's like no way to, you know, make it better. So yeah. <laughs> um, I'm plugging in. My, <laughs> I was trying to do this without uh, disrupting you, but I realized it was like, my computer came unplugged the the Mm. cord has become unplugged from the wall outlet Mm. so i need to remedy that because otherwise the computer will die so i didn't realize it came unplugged oopsie doopy that's what's happening right (laughs) um yeah well i have to stop myself from riffing more about how I mean, I, the whole Kavanaugh thing is like so distressing. Um, and yay. Um, but yeah, moving on to the Vatican, um, which declared that it would not be blessing same-sex marriage or marriages or unions, arguing that God quote, cannot bless sin. Um, just like contradicts earlier comments that Pope Francis made saying that same-sex couples, um, should be allowed to have civil unions. And, um, in 2013, he said, quote, if a person is gay, who am I to judge? Um, so it just seems like a huge step backwards. Um, Elton John also criticized the Catholic church saying that, um, he was like, uh, quote, how can the Vatican refuse to bless gay marriages because they are sin yet happily make a profit from investing millions in rocket man? Um, you know, there's a lot, people are, speaking out against, um, you know, against the saying that it's, it's really disappointing, but it, it, it just, you know, Pope Francis was supposed to, is a figure that a lot of Catholics were able to kind of get behind because he seemed progressive. And, um, for this 
sort of statement to be said, this sort of like regressive, hateful statement to be said under his um, watch is really disappointing and just kind of further reinforces. I mean, for me, I'm like was baptized Catholic, but I'm not a Catholic at all in any way. And um, it just kind of disgusts me because it causes so much pain. It provides justification for others to be hateful um, and to exclude um, and like God cannot bless sin, like get the fuck out of here. So I, you know, if we're, if God's not blessing sin, you know, we can, we certainly know that um, he wouldn't approve of the rampant child abuse that was, ha- that happened and continues to happen. And the, the system, systematic cover-up of, of that child abuse over decades. Um, it's just repulsive. I mean, it's, it's pretty disappointing that like hot take, but like, I just, it's hard to believe that some of those people who covered it up are not in jail and that those churches are still allowed to exist. And, you know, there's just this huge, like, we're so hesitant to kind of go after faith-based organizations, I think. Um, And they're allowed to hoard a lot of wealth because they have specific tax statuses or, you know, nonprofit statuses under the IRS code, that would be something cool to change. Like, mm, just make them pay taxes and make them kind of a little more accountable with their with their wealth um, and their power because they're not wielding it in productive ways. Um, and it's just gross. I mean, I disappointing. I guess not super surprising, but I, I was I was hoping for better with Pope Francis. And um, so. We see you to the Vatican. Yes, to you. <clears throat> a woman uh, from Pennsylvania, Rafaela Spone, she allegedly, but <laughs> she released these deep fake photos and videos of her teenage daughter's cheer team, like cheerleading rivals. Mm-hmm. And she, so she created these like fake doctor videos and photos of them naked drinking smoking or vaping and she would send those to try to get the girls booted off the team uh yeah she faces multiple charges of cyber harassment of a child now which is great Mm. and so she sent these images to the cheerleading coaches and the girls themselves and she urged these girls to kill themselves in the text so she'd send this mother sent photos and videos of these girls that were fake of them naked or yeah doing all these things that are illegal for teenagers to be doing um and telling them to kill themselves i it's fucking dark um and one of the girls involved in it this 15 year old girl maddie said that she was taunted by threatening calls and texts from unknown numbers also so it seems that she was also doing that just really being menacing um and she said that she had a video of her vaping at a party sent to her um cheerleading coaches and that she didn't know what to do and she was like i mean because how scary would that be as a teenager to have a video that looks real of it's i'm so afraid of deep fakes i feel like i sound a million years old oh no <laughs> but so... i'm i'm terrified of what they will bring um but yeah more than this woman it's 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 such cruelty i can't like you're not doing this for your daughter you're you're doing this for yourself you are a selfish fucked up human being um Mm -hmm. bullying these children 
Yeah. <sighs> I, I disgusting. Um, we see you. Yeah, that's really gross. And we see you. Ooh. Um, so <laughs> this we see you is um for BuzzFeed because they laid off 47 Huffington Post workers like just a week or so after their after acquiring Huffington Post um, or Huff Post. Uh, so Huff Post. I guess, I guess it's funny because it's like, I don't go there anymore for news. Yeah. Um, so I, they might just be like fully Huff Post and I just, yeah, I don't go there. They might um, just be the Huff now. I don't they know. might be, yeah. Huffo. Great um, Huffin. <laughs> yeah, but this was definitely disconcerting to see. I think that like there's a lot of news that has come out at different times, just different waves of of um, qualified reporters and workers at, at, at news newspapers being laid off. Um, and uh, HuffPost also closed the... Canadian edition of, of their office. So it was just like a big layoff day. Um, and the virtual meeting that was hosted by Buzzfeed to lay off all these people, um, had the password employees were given the password spring is here. It's just like, what I like, just kind of like a weirdly insensitive kind of, uh, situation. Spring is here. You're fired. You're fired on this call. Um, but it's just, I think it's something to watch. It's, it's depressing. Um, I think it's easy to be nitpicking at journalists and being like, oh, that editorial or that headline was put like posted in a really shitty way, or like journalism's going downhill because of X, Y, and Z reasons, or why didn't you cover something this way? Um, I'm certainly guilty of that, especially when it comes to the New York times. I feel like I just, I'm kind of like, what the hell is going on here? (laughs) Who decided to give this person like an op-ed space? But all that being said, it's just because journalism is so imperiled and underfunded generally. And then there are these big corporations that, you know, they continue to absorb and absorb and absorb until there's only a few conglomerates. And then a lot of people just end up being laid off. And especially this one's particularly hard after, um, I think that the, this group was just recently able to, uh, successfully unionize, um, and, just seems like a totally um, depressing thing to happen to these workers after covering the pandemic and working from home. That's kind of what they, they said um, in a statement um, the writers guild of America said in their, in a statement about the loss of, uh, you know, those jobs um, from their members. Um, but yeah, I think it's just something to watch. It's like, if we want there to be good journalism, journal, like publications need to be funded. Local publications need to be funded just as much as these kind of bigger places like HuffPost and, um, and BuzzFeed. Um, BuzzFeed's done some great reporting and it's, you know, it's not just dumb quizzes. It's, they've had some real solid reporting Um, especially throughout the Trump administration. So it just kind of saddens me. It's something that I see happening and, you know, I'm not in the like journalism world, but I can imagine being just completely terrified if you're a competent reporter, competent writer, um, just never knowing if your job is is safe. Um, So 
super disappointing. And just, we see you. We see you. <laughs> All right. So the kids at the border, I thought, so originally when we heard that they were being held, these facilities, I thought, okay, I mean, I was trying to <laughs> to believe the Biden administration when they were saying that, you know, well, yeah, well, they need somewhere to stay if they're arriving by themselves, you know, waiting placement and they're not separating children from their parents, which is true. And there are differences, but uh, it came out that they are not allowing um, lawyers to come onto into the facilities to see what's going on inside of them. So lawyers are legally entitled to access child migrant facilities. Um, mm-hmm. There's a, a law in 1997 Flores Agreement that, and it's to conduct, it's so that there is oversight of how children are being treated. Um, they do say through interviews that the kids are being treated better than under the Trump administration, um, but that maybe some are lacking beds, you know, and are, are having to deal with like other, like thin mattresses on the floor, maybe, or blankets, or it's just not clear exactly what's going on. Um, and there are more, you know, apparently there are more people at the border. I don't know. But what is sketchy as hell is that the Biden administration said they're going to be transparent. Um, we need to know what's happening in these facilities. We need to know that it is not just not as bad as under the Trump administration, like good. That sh- that's a, should be a given. Yeah. We know exactly what's happening in there. Um and if you know what resources these kids need that they're not getting and you know you're you can figure it out you know but there there needs to be transparency and accountability so we see you we see you we see you um so we're now in the third week of fox news having headlines about um cancellation of Dr. Seuss books. (laughs) Um, And I just, I have had it. I have completely had it with the lazy discourse around being canceled broadly. You know, Ron Johnson Mm -hmm. of um, Pennsylvania was like, I'm tired of being canceled. You know, I won't be Mm -hmm. canceled. It's just like, you are, we can't. Cancellation has become the new like Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, War on Christmas, like outrage generator. And it's totally, it's something that I think we as like, we we as liberals um, (laughs) should just generally resist even entering into the discourse as I am right now, like wading into it. But it really like let Fox news give it all the air that they want. There's actually um, it seems like the discourse has actually helped. uh, It helped get the COVID relief package passed because, because the bill was kind of popular. Tucker Carlson probably didn't want to come out and seem like he was like really opposed to it. So he busied himself with this Dr. Seuss nonsense, (laughs) which matters to no one, um, truly. And, uh, so that actually kind of helped us. And if we can continue to just let them like, you know, bloviate on this, uh, on this type of stuff, I think that's okay. I think that the, the only problem comes when we're trying to engage in it in good faith and, 
giving it more air than it needs because then we're having like New York times op-eds where smart people are like, well, this might be a free speech issue, or we don't want people to feel like they can't speak their minds in a free country. And it's sort of like, yes, yes. Free speech is very important, but this is not about free speech. And the, you know, the Dr. Seuss estate actually were the people that pulled the five titles, by the way, five titles, not like, not, not all of them, just five of them that were particularly racist or anti-Semitic. Um, and they, by kind of like drumming up this cancellation, this, this discourse around cancel culture where I think we're all becoming a little bit dumber and we're also giving the Dr. Seuss estate more money, you know? So it's, it's just very frustrating. I kind of had this rant or a version of this rant uh, this weekend uh, when I was talking to my boyfriend who was kind of, we got into a discussion about like about the Dr. Seuss books and I, or, or he, you know, he kind of like brought it up and I said, I, we do not have to, in our apartment, engage in Tucker Carlson and like the narrative that Tucker Carlson wants to set, like in his agenda, this apartment doesn't have to be constantly reacting to Tucker Carlson. And I think that that's kind of something that I just wanted to bring as a, as a, like, just, we can, we can see this. We can, there's going to be something next week. I'm sure, you know, there's always going to be something. There was Mr. Potato Head, you know, there is always going to be some fucking thing that is red meat for some conservatives and they're going to want to distract everyone and pull us all into this quagmire where we're forced to be reacting defensively to something stupid and like a half truth that they have generated because they want more people to be watching Fox news and fuming over like this fake quote unquote cancellation cancellations are over. They don't even, they're not even real. Like, you know, the, the, the people who have quote unquote been canceled have only just experienced maybe one minor repercussion or some internet blowback for something stupid or insensitive or downright racist that they have said. Um, so the discourse around being canceled, we just need to be better about it. We need to be smarter. We need to try not to let ourselves get sucked into and, and, and argue with each other too, around like what free speech is. Look, are we all like if if we, if you are someone who's generally like a liberal person and a fair-minded person, I'm I'm sure we all believe in the first amendment and I think we're all fair people and want people, you know, believe that free speech is pretty fucking important. Now, there is lots of nuance to that and that is something that's interesting to to talk about, but in this moment where where you just know that the idea of being canceled has been is being broadly invoked to stir up this like mouth foaming rage on the on the right. We don't have to let that be a conversation that we have to address every single time Tucker Carlson decides that's what he wants to focus on. We are in power. We got to get rid of the goddamn filibuster and make sure that more people can get get <laughs> fired up to vote and that is the way that we turn this country back into a place where we're moving in the direction of progress, where we really lose steam is when we get distracted by Dr. Seuss. So 
this lazy discourse about being canceled, we see you. <laughs> see you and we're done with you, but you're not done with us. Sorry. <laughs> I know we're done with you <laughs> and I'm ready. But, for you. <laughs> you're coming back, aren't you? Coming you around are. the bend. Can't wait to see what the next thing is. Can't wait. Something <laughs> outrageous, I'm sure. <laughs> All righty. You had found the good thing. Yeah. So one good thing is that uh, there is a provision in the $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill, which aims to address decades of discrimination against Black, Hispanic, Native American, Asian American farmers who have historically been excluded from government agricultural programs. Um, the American Rescue Plan set aside uh, $10.4 billion for agriculture support, uh, and about half of that amount was set aside for farmers of color um, allocating extra federal funds to farmers who were, quote, subjected to racial or ethnic prejudice because of their identity as members of the group. Um, this is a big thing uh, because historically, 98% uh, of all agricultural land um, that was Black owned has been um, transferred over the last century to, to white people. Um, and it's there's been lots of discrimination from the department of agriculture against black farmers. Not much was done to address the problem. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it, the USDA has data that also shows that farmers and ranchers of color continue to receive disproportionately smaller farm loans. Um, so this is kind of a step in the right direction to, um, try to correct some of these, uh, historic wrongs. Um, and it'll be interesting to see hopefully kind of how that, how that money, how that, that allocation can help, um, address this issue. Um, so it's being considered a huge victory for farmers of color. This is, I'm reading this from, um, democracy now. Um, so yeah, it's a good thing. I'm glad it's nice to see that there's significant portions of money being allocated to redress generational racism and discrimination. And I, I, I hope that there's kind of like data that we can pull out of this going forward to um, justify maybe doing that in other places. Um, yeah, that would yeah. be, be wonderful. Let's see more of this, more things in this, of this nature going forward. Yeah. We love that. Let's, let's progress. Progress in a real way with the, with the money. With the money. <laughs> Put your money where your mouth is. I'm still waiting for my stimmy. Me too. I think tomorrow, at least for Chase, which is where I bunk. Oh, we're at BECU. Um, uh, yes. Yes. So. <laughs> uh, All yes. right. Well, wherever you bank, everyone, I uh, <laughs> hope you get your stimmies on in there, unless you don't qualify, in which case you want to buy us some stuff. All yeah. right. Have a wonderful. Uh, you can find us on Kofi. Oh, yeah. We're, Kofi, K O F I. Buy us coffee. <laughs> yeah. Buy You'll coffee. actually be helping us not buy coffee, but buy equipment. So, yeah, yeah. things like that. So, we love that. Yeah. Oh, a little plug at the end of a 
episode. Good. good. <laughs> well, have a good weekend, everyone. Weekend, weekend. It's Tuesday. Jesus. Well, for me, Tuesday's oh, yeah. like Thursday for my work schedule. So it's close to being accurate for me. Well, good for you. There are some people out there where Tuesdays are Friday. So they're, although tomorrow's what? Anyway, whatever day it is. <laughs> we um, hope you're staying sane and know what day it is and aren't getting fooled by thinking. Today's Friday when it's not, you know. Who knows? Day time is a construct. We are all floating in space. And yeah, have a great, have a great one. <laughs> all right.